uh, we're going to do things just a little bit different today. I'm actually going to use a stool, and uh, I probably will knock it over once or twice, so I'll probably kick it out of my way, but here we go. Hey, we are starting a new sermon series today called Restore, and uh, excited for this sermon series. Um, this is kind of as we look towards Easter, as we look towards um, uh, the next couple of weeks, uh, we serve and love a God who desires to restore us. This isn't just some, some cosmic God who kind of sits and overwatches things. No, there is a God whose desire is to restore us. And so uh, the series Restore will take us through three weeks. And uh, this week we're going to look and we're going to look at the problem of, of what went wrong in the world. Um, next week, Easter Sunday, we're going to look and just see how through the man Jesus Christ, God has offered to restore every one of us. God has offered restoration. And then the week after that, April 27th, we're going to have a very fun Sunday. We're going to kind of call it our comeback Sunday. You know, one of the things that you often see with people is they say, well, you know, I was really tight with God at one point. Me and God were really tight and I was serving him and following him. But I, I kind of fell back. I kind of fell away. And so to conclude our, 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 our series on restore, we're going to have a comeback Sunday on, on how, do you, how do you become restored after you've been away. You've chosen to, to leave God, to pursue your own things. How do you then come back um, and be restored? So that's kind of where we're going the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're really looking forward to it today. Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 5. Uh, just uh, open up to uh, Romans chapter 5 if you need a Bible. Um, our Cowboys fan in the back would love to give you one. And uh, just put your finger, Romans chapter 5, and we'll be there in a minute. Um, one of the things, if you were to pick up any newspaper in the entire world, doesn't matter where you want to go, doesn't matter if it's America or, or, or Mexico or, or, or Ukraine or Russia, wherever you go, if you were to pick up a newspaper, any language you can imagine, any issue you happen to find, you are going to simply read the front page and you should be convinced that something is wrong in our world. Something is wrong with the human race. And nobody can really successfully deny that fact. I mean, nobody can say, oh, the human race is just as it should be. I don't think anybody can read a newspaper and say the human race is exactly as it should be. We are not all that we could be. And no matter how much we boast of our technological advancements and, and our society of how great we are, the sorry story of man's humanity always grabs the front page of the newspaper. If you were to uh, pull up the newspaper from this past week, if you were to pull up CNN.com on your, on your computer, you read things like, like, a, like a high school student stabbing 21 other students in the high school. You would have read about armed men seizing a police station in eastern Ukraine. You would have read about the, the Pistorius murder trial, the, the amputee and, and his murder trial of murdering his girlfriend. You would have read about a hit-and-run crash at a, at a daycare facility. You would have read about planes going down and being lost. And on and on and on it goes. The details change, the faces come and go, but the story is always the same. Something has gone wrong in our world. Something has gone wrong with human nature. Something evil lurks inside the heart of every person. No one is immune, no one is exempt, and no one is truly innocent. And you can call it whatever you want to call it. You can call it a twist, 
a, a taint, a bent towards doing wrong. There's an old hymn writer, and he wrote it like this. He said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You see, somehow, somewhere, sometime, somebody injected poison into the human bloodstream. And that's why even though we know the right thing to do, we go ahead and we choose to do the wrong, even though we know what the right thing is to do. We deliberately, repeatedly, defiantly choose to do the things that we know we shouldn't do, even though we know what's right. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves, and we're at church, right? You're supposed to be honest at church. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, if our thoughts were to be fully exposed, if your thoughts, if my thoughts were to be fully exposed in front of anybody, how many of those thoughts in our minds would completely destroy us, would wreck our marriage, would wreck our family, would wreck our career, would wreck our lives? We think about things, and sometimes we want to do the things that we know can and will destroy us. That could ruin our families, that could ruin our testimony with God. And knowing the risk, knowing the risk, knowing that, that, that if we're going to be honest, sometimes we know the risk and we do it anyways. Right? Question is, what is inside of us that makes us want to do wrong? What, where did it come from? Why do we have this bent towards evil? Why do we struggle through this? This wasn't the way that God created things to be. This wasn't what God had in mind when he created the world. Something has gone wrong. So this is where we turn to God's word and say, God, would you speak to this? God, would you, would you speak to this and help us to understand? So we're in Romans chapter 5, uh, and we'll read verses... Uh, Actually, we'll read verses 12 through uh, 21, Romans chapter 5. Uh, if you uh, don't have a Bible, we've got it on the screen as well. And it says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted uh, where there is no law. Yet, de- yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass one trespass brought, another, brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but their sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that is God's word for us this morning. Would you pray with me?
God, we are so thankful for the opportunity to come and to open up your word. God, that this isn't uh, the pastor's half hour to tell his thoughts. But God, we are opening up your word and asking you to speak to every one of us. And God, as we understand and we try and understand what it is to be uh, a God who restores us, God, first we have to understand what has gone wrong with every one of us, that we need to be restored. And God, I pray that you would paint that picture for us today. I pray that your word would be clear, that you would give us understanding of what Romans chapter 5 is speaking to us today. God, I pray for everybody coming in with weights and worries and stress and life going on around them. God, that you would speak to them exactly what you need to. That there would be hope through your word today. God, we pray that you would meet us in this place right here, right now. And we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So, the question we have to ask is what is wrong with our world, right? What is wrong? Where did our sin come from? Where did sin come from? Well, verse 12 said this. Verse 12 said, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Paul says sin came into the world through one man. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to take us back. He's going to take us way, way, way back to the earliest days of human history. And he's saying that sin came into the world through the first man, Adam. Number one for us this morning, sin came into the world through the first man, Adam. Genesis chapter 1, uh, you don't have to turn there. Genesis chapter 1 give us, gives us kind of this 30,000 foot view of what creation looked like. And God is going to go in Genesis 1 and we'll, we'll hear about the, the seven days of creation and all that God created. And what's interesting is as we read through Genesis chapter 1, we see a repeated frame. That after God created something on every day, after God did this, after God did that, whatever it was, we see the frame and God saw that whatever it was, was good. You see this in, in chapter 1, verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, verse 25. Repeatedly, God looked at what he created and he said it was good. Uh, then in, 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 in verse 31, God's kind of looking at, he, he's done with the six days of creation. He's kind of looking over everything. He's looking over it all. And verse 31, he says this, And God saw everything that he made, and it was very good. Not just good, it was very good. So what do we learn just briefly about the world that God created? It was very good. It was good. Okay? In, in, in chapter chapter 1, that's like a 30,000 foot view of what creation looked like. In chapter 2, we're going to, what we're going to see is, is, is Genesis chapter 2 goes into a much narrow view of creation and looks specifically and says, hey, how did God create man? In Genesis chapter 2, we're going to hear how, how God created man, how God created Adam. We're going to learn that God placed Adam in a beautiful garden called the Garden of Eden. And this was a marvelous garden, a place that we could only dream about. Listen to some of the things about this garden from Genesis chapter 2. Verse, verse 9 says uh, that, that everything in Eden was pleasant to the sight and good for food. Do you picture just this amazing tropical exotic location? You know, like, like grape bushes all around and, and bananas hanging off trees and, and hammocks laying between the, the trees. I mean, is that kind of what you picture? White sandy beaches? Because that's what I'm picturing. Someplace in the Caribbean or someplace great and warm. And, 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 and this is a beautiful location. 
And he says that everything was, was pleasant to the sight and good for food. Verse 15 says that when God created Adam, he put Adam in charge of everything in the garden. Adam is the boss. He's the man. He's the top guy on the organizational chart in the garden. Everything is under Adam's feet and under his dominion. In fact, verses 19 through 20 says that uh, even it was Adam who was to name all of the animals. Adam, the animals would come to him and Adam would give them a name. And, I, and I'm sitting there and I, and I, you know, I love Adam. You know, why would he name a cat a cat? I mean, I would call that roadkill, right? You know, I, I, I mean, what is, you know, kittens. I hate that word kitten because it makes us, you know, cats are not nice. They're not. A few of you cat people, forgive me. I'm just saying, I'm a dog person. So like a rodent, right? Hairy rodent. Verse 18. In verse 18, God says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. And so, so God takes a rib out of Adam and he creates a woman. He creates Adam's wife and he names her Eve. And verse 25 says that Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. Okay? So I'm not sure about you, but this really does sound like perfection. Right? I mean, when you think about this, I mean, Adam, he's the boss. He's the top guy in the org chart. He's the top guy in the food chain. He's in this beautiful, exotic location with all the food he could ever want. And, uh, and he's got a naked woman with him. I mean, could it get any better? I'm not, I'm not trying to be crass. I'm just saying the reality. God's creation was pretty perfect. I mean, it was, it could it get any better than this? So God creates this place, and he puts Adam in it, and he says, Adam, here, here's the deal. This, this paradise, this garden, has been created specifically for you. If you see any fruit that you like, go ahead and eat of it. And if you want to go play with the animals, if you want to play with the kittens, go ahead and play with the kittens. You can do that. Build a home and live where you would ever, wherever you would like. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy paradise. I made it for you, but God says there's one rule. There's one thing. One friggin' rule. Chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Verse 17 says, verse 16 says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He says, Everything is for you, but the one tree, don't eat of it. Because if you do, you will die. Now you'd think Adam would be happy. I mean, he's in paradise. He's got everything he could imagine, but he's not. Adam is like us. He wants the one thing that he cannot have. He wants the fruit from that forbidden tree. Some of you know the rest of the story. Some of you are, are new to church and you don't know the rest of the story. It takes place in Genesis chapter 3. They're placed in this paradise. Adam and Eve are there. And, and with everything good, and there's the only one tree that's forbidden. And the serpent comes along. The serpent represents Satan. And Satan comes up to Eve and, and, and begins to talk and tricks Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. And Eve leans over and gives some to Adam and says, here you go, Adam, take a bite. And Adam eats the fruit as well. Now, sometimes, sometimes we have this, 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 this wrong view of Genesis chapter 3. Sometimes we have this idea that Eve is out there on her own and, and she's just frolicking in the, in the garden and, and, and the serpent comes and tricks her. And, and the, the saying is, while Adam's away... Eve will stray. But that's not what happens. Specifically, 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says, uh, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was, where was he? Who was with her. And he ate. So of course, Ad, she's naked. So of course, Adam's going to be next to her. I mean, that's just guys. And, and, and he's watching everything that's going on. He's watching the serpent come and begin to trick Eve and try and, truck, and try and talk Eve into eating this fruit. And he is not stepping up to lead. He's not stepping up to protect his wife from being deceived. And when she offers it to him, he eats it as well. You see, Eve, she was tricked. She was deceived. Adam, he deliberately chose. He deliberately chose to eat the fruit, to disobey what God had said to do. He made his choice with his head held high as if to say, God, God, I don't need you. God, I can do things my own way. I'm, I, I know better than you do. I'm smarter than you, God. I know what's best for my life. I can do what I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. So Adam deliberately breaks God's one friggin' rule. One rule. Now, if you would have been there that day, if, you, if we would have been with Adam and Eve in the garden, all you would have seen is a woman getting tricked by the serpent, eating the fruit and giving it to her husband, and he ate it. There would have been no dramatic music. There would have been no thunder and lightning. There would have been no bells, no, no theatrics. Yet through that one act of disobedience, through that one act of disobedience, things changed forever. Things changed forever. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5. He says, sin came into the world through this one man. It started with Adam. Theologians, they have a word for this event. They call it the fall. It means that when Adam ate the fruit, that he fell from a state of innocence into a state of guilt. He fell from uh, a state of grace to a state of judgment. He fell from death to life. He fell from heaven to hell. And when we look at everything around us, when we look at the newspapers, when we look at the calamity, and all that's gone wrong in our world, there's no way to explain our world apart from the fall. There's no way for us to read the newspaper and read the headlines and explain any of it except for the fall. It is impossible to understand the world today apart from the reality of Adam's deliberate sin. Our world makes no sense otherwise. How do you explain school shootings? By one man, sin entered the world. How do you explain racial hatred and racism and, and terrorism? By one man, sin entered the world. How do you explain the gang violence and the gang issues that our city faces all the time? By one man, sin entered the world. How do we explain, how do we explain our country trying to redefine the idea of marriage that God created between man and woman? By one man, sin entered the world. How do we explain all the things that have gone wrong? By one man, sin entered the world. The hatred, the greed, the violence, the competition, the injustice, the fraud, the killing. Where does it come from? Why can't we just change human nature? The answer is so simple. By one man. By one man, sin entered the world. 
So what we're going to do now is we're going to turn from a theoretical and historical view of sin to a more, more personal view of sin. Why is it that we sin? Why is it, why is it that, that, that we struggle? We're talking about you and me and our lives, even our lives this past week. Why do we repeatedly choose the wrong? The answer is so simple. It lies on the surface, yet it's so easy for us to miss. We sin because we have a sin nature. That is, that we were born with an inner bent towards sin. Paul said it like this in verse 12. He said, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Notice those last words. Because all sinned. Notice this is in in past tense. This isn't because all sin, which is true, we all do sin. Notice this isn't because all are sinners, which is true because we're all sinners. But he's saying because all sinned, it is past tense. It is past tense. This is crucial for understanding what Paul is trying to say here. This is not a, a commentary upon the current activities of men and women that, who, where we continue to sin. No, Paul is pointing back to some event in the past when all sinned. In order for us to understand this, we need to add two words to that last phrase. Because all sinned in Adam. Because all sinned in Adam. This verse is pushing you and me back to the Garden of Eden. Back to that fateful moment when Adam ate the forbidden fruit. In some mysterious way, you and I, we were there with Adam. In some strange way, when Adam sinned, you and I sinned as well. Number two, the second thing we need to understand today is because of Adam's sin, we inherit a sinful nature. This is, the, this is the doctrine of original sin. It means that when Adam sinned, you and I sinned as well. When Adam disobeyed, we disobeyed. When Adam fell, we fell. When Adam died, you and I died as well. To say it another way, even though you and I were not with him in the garden, because we are descendants of Adam in his family tree, we suffer the same consequences that he did. Now, naturally, we begin to say, well, how could that be? I wasn't there in the garden. How could I sin with Adam through Adam? How could I fall when Adam fell? I wasn't even there. Let me explain it like this. When Adam was created, he stood as a divinely appointed representative for the entire human race. He was our human representative. What happened to him happened to all of us because in God's eyes, He was appointed to act in the place of everyone who would come later after him. So when Adam sinned, he represented every one of us, and we were truly present with him because we were directly descended from him. So when he was created, he represented us. When he chose to disobey in the garden, he represented us. When he ate the fruit, he represented us. When he was cast out of the garden, he represented us. What happened to him, therefore, really and truly happened to us as well. To say it another way, Adam was the bus driver uh, on the bus of humanity. And he's driving the bus, and, and we're somewhere in the back. It doesn't matter what we're, doesn't matter if we're taking uh, action figures and throwing them out the window on a, on a fishing line. Doesn't matter if we're, we're busy talking uh, on our phones. Doesn't matter if we're, we're oblivious to what's going on. 
When Adam drove the bus off the cliff, all of us were affected by that. We went down with him. Back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam sinned, he tainted the human bloodstream. He tainted our bloodstream. The virus of sin entered the human bloodstream. And as a result, every baby who's been born since that time is tainted with this deadly sin virus. Job 14.4 describes this. And he says, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. This is what Romans chapter 5 verse 12 is telling us. That every person is born with a tendency to do wrong. We're born with a sin nature. It's easy to see this with our little children. It's easy to see this with kids. You know, my wife and I, we've got those five kids. They're great. I love them. I love being a dad because you get to teach them how to do all sorts of wonderful things. You get to teach them how to, how to walk and, and talk and, and tie their shoes. And you get to teach them how to catch baseballs. And sometimes, I was reminded that when you teach a kid how to catch a baseball, sometimes they miss and, and they, they take one right in the, in the face. That happened to us on Saturday. It's part of teaching kids, right? So we teach kids, but there's one thing that we don't have to teach kids how to do. That's the sin. You know, my little one, my four-year-old, yeah, we're scared for him. From a young age, he is just has this, this Dennis and Menace type of personality where he's just going to push boundaries. and he, It's crazy. We, don't, we didn't teach him that. They didn't learn that from, I mean, they definitely did not learn that from me. Maybe he learned it from, definitely one of, I would have taught him that. See, the problem is that many people think that God has some sort of divine scale. He's got this divine scale, and you've got good on the one side, and you've got bad on the other side, and, and, and neutral is kind of right here. And, and, and most people think that we're kind of right here. The scale is balanced, you know? We think that we're somewhere in the middle, that we're not too bad, we're not too good, we're, we're, we're mostly neutral. We're not the best, but we're not the worst as well. But the Bible says that because of Adam's sin, you came into the world strictly on the evil side. And apart from the grace of God, there's nothing that we can do to change that scale back to say anything other than evil. See, what God's word is telling us here is we're not evil because we do evil. He's saying we do evil because we're evil. Our basic nature is corrupt and depraved. That is what we inherited from Adam. To say it one last way, there is no sin that we would not commit if we were left to ourselves, if the circumstances were just right. There's no sin that you and I would not commit. Murder. If the circumstances were just right, if things lined up and you were put in that situation, we have a bent towards sin. Adultery. Some of you even dreamed about that this week. And if everything lined up just right, if everything were to get in just right, that's what we would choose. Theft, if it's necessary. Lying, why not? Extortion, kidnapping, child abuse, everything is possible for us. No sin is beyond the realm of our possibility because of our sinful nature. Because we are evil in our nature. It all started with Adam, but it didn't end there. It continues in your life 
and in mind. Adam was the first sinner, but he wasn't the last. We follow in the footsteps of our forefather because he has tainted our blood. So what happens when we sin? What happens when we sin? What is the ultimate result of sin in our life? Where does sin leave Leave us? The answer is simple. When I sin, I die. Every time I sin, I die a little bit more. The third thing we need to understand this morning is that result of sin is death. The result of sin is death. We sin because we think it will bring us freedom and life, but we end up in bondage and death. Verse 12, Paul says it like this. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. First, there was sin, and then there was death. First, there was sin, and then there was death. This is the inexorable law of the universe. Notice what Paul says in these couple of verses. He says, number one in verse 12, death comes through sin. Death comes through sin. And number two that he says in verse 12, he says that death comes to all men. And if we go a little further and read verses 13 and 14, Paul writes, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was coming. See, he's saying death reigned from Adam all the way to Moses. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. What does that mean? That seems kind of weird. Why does Adam and Moses have anything to do with anything? It means that even before God gave the Ten Commandments, even before, even before God gave the Ten Commandments, even before God organized religion and, and religious rules, men sinned and they died because of their sin. You can see it clearly in Genesis chapter 5, the first genealogy of the Bible. It gives us all the generations from Adam to Moses. And all these guys, they lived so and so, such and such years, and then they died. Again, again, again. The only one that didn't experience death was Enoch. Seth lived, and then he died. Adam lived, and then he died. Enosh lived, and then he died. Kenan lived, and then he died. The only exception being Enoch, who was taken directly into heaven without seeing death. But all the rest, however long they lived, and then they died. The point being this, that men died because they were sinners, even without the Ten Commandments. Even, though, even without religion, even without uh, all the religious rules. Even though they had never broken a specific command, Sin was in the world before the law, before the religious rules. Death reigned in the earliest generations of world history. Death reigned before the law. And death still reigns today. Just open the newspaper and look at the obituaries, look at the obituary section. I happened to pull up the, the, the Yakima Herald this past week. And, and you see this name after name. And you never see a name repeated in the obituaries. Schneider, Olney, Stark, Zimmerman, O'Brien, Barry, Miller, Martinez, Wilder, Carmichael, Benitez, Munguia. Every day a brand new list. Names never repeated. Why is that? Because death reigns in Yakima as well as it does all over the globe. Death also reigns for you and me. If there's one thing that we can be certain about, it's death. 
Well, death and taxes. But death is probably more concrete than taxes. How certain is the fact of your death? So certain that there is an, a, there is an entire industry built on the expectation of your, be- of your death. It's called the life insurance industry. The only reason that you buy life insurance is because you know that someday you're going to die. That's why you buy life insurance. If you live forever, you wouldn't need to buy life insurance. But you buy life insurance precisely because you do not know the fact of when you're going to die. You just know that you're going to die. You just don't know when. And so you pay the money in order to get the insurance benefit. But it only comes after you die. When you die, the coroner is going to fill out a death certificate for you. There's going to be a space on the death certificate that says cause of death. If we understand what the Bible is saying here, the answer is always the same. Sin. Not sickness, not cancer, not an accident, not old age. Those are merely merely symptoms of the one great cause of death. Sin. This is our world. This This is what is wrong with our world. This is what is wrong with every one of us. We are sinners. We are broken. We are spiritually dead. And if the story just ended there, it'd be a tragedy. It'd be terrible. There'd be no hope for any of us. But the story doesn't end there. God had a plan. A plan to restore us. A plan that gives us hope that gives us a remedy for our sin, a plan that brings restoration between us and God. The last thing we need to know this morning is God offers hope through his free gift. Verse 15 says this, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift of by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Did you get that? The grace of God, our remedy for our sin. God's plan to restore us, it comes through one man, Jesus Christ. Paul uses all sorts of words in this text to describe this gift. In verse 16, he calls it the gift of God. In verse 17, he calls it the gift of grace. In verse 18, he calls it the gift of righteousness. In chapter 6, verse 23, he calls it the gift of eternal life. See, God's gift, God's gift of grace, the gift of righteousness, our hope, our restoration, our future, the gift of eternal life, it comes through one man, Jesus Christ. This is where we want to stop today. Because next week we want to see just how it is that Jesus Christ is that gift, how he fulfills that gift for every one of us. So we'll take this further next week. But what I want you to walk away with today is this. This is what I want you to see. Many years ago, the Times of London, the newspaper, they asked a number of of authors to to write on a specific question, a specific topic. They said, write on this topic of what is wrong in the world. This guy named Gilbert Keith Chesterton, who was one of the most influential writers of the 20th century, He was known for prolific and diverse writings that included journalism and philosophy and poetry and biography and Christian apologetics and fantasy and detective fiction. He wrote the shortest response out of all the authors I were asked to write into this. He wrote the shortest response to that question, what is wrong with the world? He said, Dear London Times, I am sincerely yours, 
G.K. Chesterton. This is what Paul wants us to see. That what is wrong with our world is sin. And every one of us is a part of the problem. We are guilty of sin. We have this sin nature where we choose disobedience rather than obedience. But God, in his love, regardless of our sins against him, regardless of how we've turned our back repeatedly against God, God, in his love for every one of us, he's offered us a gift that redeems us from the bondage of our sinful nature. He, he's offered us a gift that frees us from the weight of our sin. He's offered us a gift that, that gives us hope, that gives us a hope of eternal life, that gives us a hope of restoration. And just as through, just as our sin came into the world through one man, our freedom, our hope, our restoration, our salvation comes to us through one man, Jesus Christ. And because of this hope, because of God's love for us, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can experience that peace. We can experience that forgiveness. We can become a new creation. We can be restored. That's what Paul wants us to see. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your word. God, sometimes we open it up and we say, man, this seems kind of difficult to understand. But God, I pray that you would give us understanding today. That we would see ourselves for who we really are. God, that we are sinners with a sin nature. That even though we try to do good things, they're never good enough. That we have a nature that is always bent towards doing our own thing. And and thumbing our nose at God and saying, I'm going to do my own thing. And I don't need to listen to you. And I don't need to listen to anybody. God, I pray that you would reveal that to us about ourselves. That we would realize that we are what's wrong in the world. Because God, when you reveal that to us, when we accept that and understand that, God, you can change our lives in that moment. Because you didn't let the story end there. Sin entered the world through one man. But grace and love and forgiveness and salvation entered the world through another man, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would see ourselves for who we are. And that we would cry out to you and that you would change us. That you would restore us. That you would make us a new creation. That instead of serving ourselves, that we would serve you. Instead of obeying ourselves, that we would obey you. That, God, you would do a work in every one of our lives that you would change us even here today. And, God, I pray as we get ready to celebrate this Easter season, God, I pray that you would help us to see that it is through Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that we can have hope. God, I pray that this would be the message that we carry to everyone around us, that we would want them to know that God is a God who restores And he does it through Jesus Christ. God, we love you and we praise you. You are a great God. Thank you for not letting the story end in our sinfulness, but offering hope through Jesus. We ask this in your perfect and precious name.